Hello everyone, I'm Gary Urbanowitz, your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. Each show has three segments going back in time about the FDNY and its history. You can listen to all the past episodes by going to the website of the New York City Fire Museum at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny and choosing the digital platform you use for listening to podcasts. Now, let's start this month's show. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, in 1865, the Maltese Cross is introduced as a symbol of the fire department. In 1948, Peter Loftus is appointed chief of department. And in 1967, a gas leak causes a 13-alarm fire in Queens. The Maltese Cross has become the ubiquitous symbol of the fire service in the United States. But that begs the question, when was that shape first used here, and why was it chosen? Well, while a definitive answer to that question does not exist, there are many theories. And as an FDNY historian, I would like to share mine with you. Based on an informal survey of major U.S. city fire departments that use the Maltese Cross as their primary badge, it appears that New York City was the first to use this shape officially in 1865. Its name comes from its use as the emblem of the Knights of Malta, a Christian order with its origin dating back, under different names, to the Crusades. The seminal books on FDNY history, published in the 19th century, did not mention this as the source, and no contemporary information on the Knights solidifies a connection between their emblem and that of any fire service. So, is it legend or is it myth? Our counterparts across the Atlantic in the United Kingdom also use what they call a Maltese cross as their national symbol for the fire service. However, their cross, like the one used in the U.S., bears little resemblance to the true Maltese cross. To their credit, they've taken the eight points of the cross and assigned a knightly virtue to each. The same virtues can be attributed to firefighters. Therefore, this legend has long been accepted, but may not be correct. I have evidence that the actual reason for adopting the Maltese cross as the symbol for New York firefighters is tied to its use by the military. Keep in mind that what appears to be the first official use of the Maltese cross by the New York Fire Department occurred in 1865, near the end of the Civil War. During that war, General Joseph Hooker introduced distinctive insignia for each corps of the Union Army. The symbol of the 5th and 19th Corps were called a cross patee. The Army version of this cross has flat sides identical to that of the first Maltese cross when it was introduced by the New York City Metropolitan Fire Department in 1865 as a cap device. An article in the Brooklyn Eagle provides the most credible evidence from my theory. The article appeared in the September 19, 1882 issue. It says, quote, Commissioner Partridge has decided to make a change in the design of the badges of the fire department. The present badge is of nickel and in the form of a four-leaf clover. The new one 
is in the design of a Maltese cross, the old 6th Army Corps badge, end quote. If you compare a 6th Corps badge to the one adopted by the Brooklyn Fire Department, they are the same shape. The connection to the military symbol is in plain English, clearly supporting the claim that the firefighter's badge was influenced by the military insignia. When you look at a side-by-side -side comparison of the 5th Corps symbol and the 1865 Metropolitan Fire Department badge, they too are the same shape. The current firefighter's badge issued by the FDNY was adopted in 1870, when the control of the department shifted from that of the governor back to the mayor, and the Metropolitan Fire Department gave way to the Fire Department of the City of New York. An interesting article about badges and the design of various cross shapes was published in the department's magazine, WNYF, in its third issue of 1947. While that article does not address the origin of our badge, it is a very interesting read. So I hope you now have a clearer insight that choosing the Maltese cross as a symbol for the fire service has its roots in the U.S. military, not the Knights of St. John of Malta. Hello, everyone. I'm Jennifer Brown, the Executive Director of the New York City Fire Museum. Thank you for listening to our Throwback FDNY podcast. We invite you to become a member of our wonderful cultural institution in Lower Manhattan. We preserve the history of the fire department in New York City, educate the public on fire and life safety, and celebrate the wonderful traditions of the FDNY. To learn more about our membership program and the perks it offers, go to nycfiremuseum.org. If ever there was a chief of department that had an unusual career, it was Peter Loftus. Born in County Mayo, Ireland, Mr. Loftus joined the department in 1920. He moved up the ranks quickly to lieutenant in 1925, captain in 1929, and battalion chief in 1934. He was in a position to become chief of department after becoming deputy chief on August 1st, 1938, and placing first on the civil service list for the highest rank in the department. When William O'Dwyer was elected mayor, he had a friend that he wanted to see as the chief of department, Frank Murphy. But to qualify for the position, any candidate would have had to take the civil service exam for the rank, something not required today, and Chief Murphy had not done so. In order to circumvent the process, O'Dwyer had Commissioner Quayle create a new rank called Chief of Staff and Operations. And there was no test needed. Appointment was at the pleasure of the commissioner. At the time, there was no chief of department since Patrick Walsh had retired. All authority previously under the chief of department, was transferred to the new position, thereby giving Murphy the highest authority on the job. When the next exam and promotion list was created in 1947, Chief Harold Burke was the heir apparent. But as soon as he was promoted, he immediately retired. The post remained vacant until Chief Loftus was appointed on August 1, 1948. On the same day his promotion was announced in the department orders, the ranks of assistant chief of department and deputy chief of department 
were changed to Assistant Chief of Staff and Operations and Deputy Chief of Staff and Operations. As a result, nobody reported to the Chief of Department. This situation continued until a new mayor and his appointed fire commissioner came into office. Commissioner George Monahan eliminated the rank of Chief of Staff and Operations on January 3, 1951, thereby restoring control to the Chief of Department, Peter Loftus, three years after his promotion to the traditionally highest rank in the department. His responsibilities were diminished in 1954 under Commissioner Edward Cavanaugh, who restructured the department and moved administrative and personnel responsibilities under a separate administrative unit, but the chief retained all authority for fire operations. Chief Loftus retired and ended his 35-year career in September 1955. As a member of the FDNY at all ranks, Peter Loftus was seen as a true firefighter. He was cited for valor several times, including at the age of 60, when, as chief, he rescued a firefighter buried in the collapse at a Brooklyn factory fire. Although his name is not one commonly heard, the career of Peter Loftus is one of the most historic in the department's history. If you'd like to learn more about the history of the Chief of Staff and Operations rank, please go back and listen to episode number five of our Throwback FDNY podcast. The New York City Fire Museum is proud to present the special exhibition, Firehouse, the Photography of Jill Friedman, on display through early April. The exhibition showcases the award-winning photographer Jill Friedman's moving collection, documenting New York City firefighters on the job in the 1970s in the South Bronx in Harlem. It features images contained in Friedman's book, Firehouse, which was published in 1977 and garnered rave reviews for displaying the honesty, grit, danger, heroism, and camaraderie of firefighters during some of the most challenging and tumultuous years. For more information, go to nycfiremuseum.org. One of the most challenging fires the FDNY has had to contend with occurred on January 13, 1967. At 5.19 a.m., someone activated a street fire alarm box at the corner of 101st Avenue and Crestkill Place in the Jamaica area of Queens. Several FDNY units were less than a mile away, having responded to a false alarm just minutes before. But when Engine Company 298 and Ladder Company 127 approached the location, their apparatus stalled, and the reason for the alarm became abundantly clear. Natural gas was escaping from a 24-inch diameter main. The volume of gas choked off the air in the area, fouling the intakes on the motors of the two apparatus. It was reported that the sound of that much gas being shot into the atmosphere sounded like a jet engine. Although it was still very early in the morning, that sound woke many, if not most, of the residents in the area. That made it possible for FDNY members to evacuate the area much faster than if the leak was quiet and they all remained asleep. But it was also so loud that it made radio and voice communication among the first responders very difficult. The first battalion chief to arrive on the scene not only ordered the evacuation, he also transmitted a second alarm, even though there was no fire. At 5.36 a.m., the gas did indeed ignite, although what caused it to was never determined. 
There was no explosion, only a massive column of flames that was estimated to be 85 feet high and 15 feet wide. The leak was in the middle of the street, near an intersection, and with no explosion, the houses in the area did not burst into flames. However, the radiant heat caused by the fire, estimated to reach 3,562 degrees Fahrenheit, started to take its toll. Many of the houses in the area were clad with asphalt shingles covering the wooden structures. The asphalt was melted by the heat, which subsequently sent the underlying wood on fire. The heat also kept firefighters from getting close to the source or the buildings that were starting to light up. When the gas ignited, Deputy Chief Weinhofer ordered a third alarm. Three minutes later, a fourth alarm, and seven minutes after that, a fifth alarm. Several specialized units were called in, including the three satellites and the tender of the super pumper system. As the firefight progressed, simultaneous alarms were transmitted, meaning that additional alarm boxes were verbally activated. In all, 13 alarms, including the initial one, were transmitted. Under these conditions, the fire was a particularly tough one to fight, with the original gas column needing to be quelled, along with the fires from the radiant heat in nine single-family homes, a paint factory, and a garage. The attack was led by large caliber streams of water from a greater distance than would normally be used. The tactic was to lower the radiant heat and wet down any exposed buildings not already on fire. In order to advance on the fires, some members commandeered various implements, such as doors, to use as shields. The structural fires were finally brought into control at 9.51 a.m., but the gas leak wasn't shut down by the gas company until 3.21 that afternoon. In the end, there was no loss of life or even injury to any residents and only minor injuries to some firefighters. But the apparatus of both Ladder 127 and Engine 298 were consumed by the fire in the street and completely destroyed. Once again, the FDNY officers and members displayed their knowledge, creativity, and tenacity to conquer this stubborn blaze. And now, it's time for our throwback FDNY trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. What was the name of the FDNY unit organized in 1873 whose mission was to blow up buildings? The answer can be found in our last episode. And remember, you can listen to that and all of our previous episodes by going to nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you by the New York City Fire Museum with help from the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official philanthropic organization of the department. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this important safety tip. Personal mobility devices powered by lithium-ion batteries can present a dangerous risk of fire and even explosion. When not in use, they should be kept away from flammable material and should never be charged unattended or overnight within a residence. For more information on lithium-ion battery safety, visit fdnysmart.org. We could all do our part to be a partner with the fire department 
by promoting fire safety. Until next time, thank you and stay safe.